0: Good morning, church. We are going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 50 this morning. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but of God gives it a body, and he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish." They are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. Indeed, stars differ, differs from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable.
1: Good morning again. I don't usually get to see this part of the service. So this is the first time that I am preaching for you all, and that is both exciting and terrifying. I was in the office earlier this week, and one of the ladies who volunteers at the desk came up to me, and I won't tell you who it was, but you'll probably be able to guess. She said, have you started working on your sermon yet? And I said, no, it's, it's been a busy week. I just haven't gotten to it. And she said, well, you better get to it. She said, if it's not good, I'm not listening. So I took those words of encouragement with me as I started writing this weekend. First, I want to read again our passage of Scripture. The first time I read that through, I said, huh, that doesn't make any sense at all. So I want to read through it again, because we really need to understand and be able to grapple with what's going on. So let's read 1 Corinthians 35. 1 Corinthians 15:35 through 50 But someone will ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come Fool what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and as for what you sow you do not sow the body that is to be but a bare seed perhaps of wheat or of some other grain But God gives it a body, as God has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another." There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written The first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of dust, and as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we all know people who like to tell us about ourselves. And When I was in high school, a friend of mine told me that I am so lame that it starts to get cool again. And so just to be fair, I'll give you a little context to the conversation. We were 17 years old, riding to town in my 93 Nissan on our way to Joanne's fabric so I could buy myself a new set of knitting needles. And I had just turned on my brand new One Direction CD. And she said, "Allie, you are so lame that it starts to get cool again. And I really carry that observation with me. Every once in a while, it makes me stop about, stop and think about the things that I choose to do with my time. And almost 10 years later, It has been two months since I turned in my last final of grad school. I get up and I go to work every day. I have no papers to write, no articles that I have to read. It is incredibly freeing. But it is also confusing. Like, what am I supposed to do with my time? So, in the past two months, I have read seven books just for fun. I learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube, and I can do it in under two minutes, which I'm actually really proud of. And I have been testing out all of these different herbal teas so I can really nail down my bedtime routine, which starts around 8.30. And lately I've been thinking a lot, wow, I am so lame. (laughs) But then I remember what my friend said to me in high school and I think, I guess that means I'm still cool. When you go through seminary you have to be prepared to ask a lot of questions that will never have an answer not in this world not with this brain and if you go home after class and you feel like you have an answer for everything you asked that day then you're doing something wrong and all of these questions are wrapped up in the mystery of who god is the way that we experience God in relationship, and the things that were written down forever ago in this book that we're supposed to understand and believe. This cocktail of confusion produces a lifetime of questions. And those people who show up to a seminary class and those people who show up to church on a Sunday morning have decided that these questions are worth pondering? And I bring this up today because we are pondering a pretty tough question. And this question is found at the very beginning of our passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul really likes to set, him up, to set himself up to sound smart when he's writing his letters. He has just explained the resurrection of Christ to the Corinthians, and he anticipates what they might ask how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Which I think is a natural next step in understanding the resurrection or life after death. I bet if someone asked any of us, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? We would say, that's a really good question and then just casually move on and pretend that it was never asked. At least that's how I handle it when the kids ask me questions that have no earthly answer. I've been working in children's ministry for about four years and I'll share with you two stories that encompass what it's like to be a children's minister. I was sitting with a group of kids eating pizza And the boy next to me raised his hand like he had something important to say. And I said, yes. And with his hand still in the air, he looked into my eyes, opened his mouth, and a giant wad of chewed-up pizza fell down onto his plate. And we just kind of looked at each other for a moment. And then he leaned his face down, still looking me in the eyes to his plate, and put that chewed up wad of pizza back into his mouth and ate it. (laughs) Now on the inside, I was thinking that is top tier comedy. The timing, the execution, the concentration, and he never broke character. But on the outside, I said, never again. And then we just went back to eating. When I was offered my first children's ministry position, I had never worked with kids before and I did not want to work with kids, ever. They are sticky and they ask too many questions. I quickly learned to love the kids that I worked with, though I still think they're sticky and ask too many questions. Once I was with this group of really young kids and we were learning how to pray. And I told them, there are tons of different ways that you can pray, but let's start with the easy one. So we closed our eyes, we folded our hands, we bowed our heads, and we said, dear God. And just as we were getting going, this little girl blurts out the question, do turtles pray? And I thought, here we go. She followed up her question with some background. She said, my mom told me, that we pray because God made us. And God made turtles, so I think turtles should have to pray too. And I said, you can't argue with that logic. And I responded to her, I'm not a turtle, so I don't know. But if I had to guess, I would say, yeah, sure. Turtles probably know how to talk to God too. And turtle praying has really stuck with me since that day. What do other animals say to God? Or what does God say to them? How does God tell the wind to blow, or the trees to grow, or the mountains to stand tall? Do turtles pray? A question so dumb that it starts to get smart again. In response to the hypothetical question, How are the dead raised? Paul didn't say, good question. He said, fool. What a dumb question you just asked, or would have asked, I'm sure. Not dumb because it has no answer, but dumb because the answer is so obvious. He says in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as God has chosen. In this moment, Paul is appealing to the Corinthians with the simple analogy of farming. When a seed is planted beneath the soil, it disappears into this mysterious space of transformation, and reemerges new and different in a different body, wearing different flesh. And I imagine in that time that what happened beneath the soil was a mystery to Paul. Even the greatest farmers could not witness the transformation of a seed into new life. What does happen to a seed when it is beneath the soil? I'm sure they knew how to plant seeds, which seeds grew best in which soil, how much water each seed needed, the best climate for each seed to grow. They may have dug up seeds in search of answers to this mystery, to see them in their various stages, to know when the shell cracks open and when the sprout starts to emerge. But in all of that, could they truly know what happened to a seed when it was beneath soil. I'm imagining a science textbook like the ones we had in school that showed drawings of the stages of a seed sprouting. It was always this image from the side that looked like someone had chopped into the ground so we could get a good look at what was going on above and below the soil. And it would show the different stages of seeds cracking open and sprouting just like you had dug it out of the ground to look at it. And now I love watching those videos where people have planted a seed right up against the edge of a glass container so you can watch a time lapse of what actually happens to a seed when it's under the soil. You can see it crack open and sprout right before your eyes. It's almost like you do know what happens to a seed when it's under the soil. We can watch it with our eyes. We can understand the steps of the process and the catalysts that lead to each step, but do we really know what's happening? Do we really know the seed in its earthly flesh? Can we hear it communicate with its creator? Does it pray the way that turtles do? What does God whisper to the seed when it is beneath the soil? Does God reach down, crack open the seed, scoop out the sprout, and guide a new life into the world? Does God honor the plant that created the seed and give it rest after its labor? Starting in verse 42, Paul says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul is saying that whatever we sow, whatever we place beneath the soil, whether it be the flesh of a seed or the flesh of humankind, it is sown in what is perishable all dishonor, all weakness, all sin, all of the things that have separated our flesh from God are sown into the soil. And what does happen beneath the soil? What happens for the perishable body to emerge imperishable? It's not as if we can dig up the flesh of this world and note the steps of transformation into the spiritual body. There's no image in a textbook that shows God's hands as they craft something old into something new. Because with our perishable eyes, we cannot see the imperishable. With our perishable minds, we cannot fathom the imperishable because all that we see is of this world, and the bodies of this world are bodies of dust. Bodies of dust are not resurrected, and if they are, we have a much bigger problem. Paul says in verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, the image of the man of dust we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And all of this mysterious transformation happens beneath the soil. We can try to explain it. We can conceptualize a spirit and what we think it might look like. And we have tried really hard to do just that. A spiritual body is often depicted as an image of ourselves that's maybe a little fuzzy around the outside, sort of like what we would imagine a ghost would look like. The spiritual bodies we imagine are usually surrounded by light and peace and wisdom, a glowing orb of contentment that makes us almost jealous of the peace it has found with God. We are obsessed with understanding the spiritual Body, but I'm with Paul on this one. It's foolish to think we can understand the mystery of what God does beneath the soil. You notice how Paul doesn't actually have an answer to the question that he asked. At least he doesn't really elaborate in a way that quenches our thirst for answers. The question was how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? do they come? His answer to the first question is God, and his answer to the second question is whatever God wants. What we do know, he says in verse 46, is that the physical comes first, and then the spiritual, and he means this chronologically, not in a matter of importance. When we learn about the first Adam— We don't learn about a spirit from heaven come to earth to inhabit this physical body. No, the first Adam was formed from the dust on the ground. The second Adam was from heaven. All the flesh that we wear is of this world. We were formed here, and here we will return to dust. But in verse 49, just as we have been, born the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And we stand here asking, but how? Make it make sense, Paul. And Paul calls us fools, because we will never know what happens beneath the soil, and we're not meant to. God works in mystery, and we are left to faithfully ponder. Let's pray together. God of creation, God of rest, we pause now to ponder, to wonder at the mystery of your work and the power of your grace. Teach us to ask questions with no expectation for answers, to be comfortable in the unknown, to trust that your goodness is good enough. Help us to wonder without worry as we explore what it means to know you, to believe in you, and to find rest with you in whatever image reflects our true and eternal home. In awe of your glory, God, we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us.